This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet, or visit esv.org to get started. Welcome to Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for resolute hope in an anxious age. I'm your host, Colin Hansen, and each week I'm joined by insightful guests to talk about their written work and how the gospel applies to all of life. Together, we keep looking until we see God working. Wherever you're listening, welcome. I'm glad you're here for today's conversation. We sense that we've been created for more than this life, and yet we feel that we're living on borrowed time. How does the infinite inform the finite? If I'm living for eternity, how do I manage my day? Jordan Rayner offers seven biblical principles for being purposeful, present, and wildly productive in his new book, Redeeming Your Time, published by Waterbrook. These principles include starting with the word, eliminating all hurry, and prioritizing your yeses. He frames the whole book in the gospel as managing our time the way Jesus managed his. Jordan writes, for Christians, the key to being wildly productive is realizing that we don't need to be productive. Once we realize that God accepts us no matter how many good things we do, we want to be productive for his agenda as a loving act of worship. You'll learn in this book how to say no more often. Jordan writes, in order to do more, most of us need to do less and rest more. Uh, the book mixes time-tested productivity tips with timeless biblical wisdom. And Jordan joins me now on Gospel Bound to discuss selective ignorance, inbox zero, and the connection between our priorities and our posteriorities. We'll also discuss his forthcoming children's book, The Creator in You, due in April, also from Waterbrook. Jordan, thank you for joining me on Gospel Bound. Yeah, happy to be here, Colin. Thanks. Now, Jordan, this is not like a lot of other productivity books that yeah. people will see. You list Kevin DeYoung, Jen Wilkin, and Tim Keller among the giants whose shoulders you stood on to write this book. Well, how did they contribute to your work? Yeah, these these voices were huge in, in shaping my faith and also this book specifically. I mean, without Keller's uh, work and, and specifically Every Good Endeavor, I don't think I would have written this or any of the other books I've written. Uh, Kevin DeYoung's Crazy Busy was so helpful in thinking about time management, one of my favorite categories of books through a gospel lens. Uh, and then Jen, uh, who I just think is one of the best Bible teachers in the church today, specifically in her book, None Like Him, had a terrific, terrific session on section on, on just our obsession and longing for timelessness and, and resting in the fact that only God is going to be working and finishing our unfinished symphonies in this life. It's a really beautiful language. And so I'm just so grateful for for Jen and, and Kevin and Tim and everything they've written in this vein. Continuing on that theme, yeah. what does make your book unique in the productivity genre? Yeah. And there's 60,000 time management books on Amazon today, which is just a, a laughable number. Just a silly number. And I've read a lot of the perennial bestsellers in this category, right? I, yeah, I spent 10 years as a tech entrepreneur. So time management was always like really important to me. But there were two big problems I had with the 
best-selling books in this category. Number one, they tend to be centered on works-based productivity, right? Uh, nearly all of these books say that, hey, uh, if you're feeling swamped and overwhelmed, you're feeling stressed, follow my system and follow it perfectly to the T. You got to do the whole thing. And then at the end of this long road, you're going to find this deep, soul-satisfying peace. Yeah, as a Christian, I'm not buying it, right? Like I'm starting with the opposite of this. <laughs> yeah. Because of Jesus, I can believe that I am loved and accepted by God, regardless of how productive I am. I have peace with God, says Romans 5.1. So yeah, I care about time management because Paul commands it in Ephesians 5.16 to redeem the time because the days are evil. But I don't do it to get peace. I do it as a worshipful response to the secure peace that I have been given through Christ. So I, I just think that's a pretty different base for a book. So that was the first problem I have with the books in this category. The second is that I've never read a time management book that accounts for how the author of time managed his time when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, John Mark Comer is written really beautifully about this, that we come to the gospels almost exclusively for theology and ethics. And we can forget that the gospels are biographies of how Jesus of Nazareth lived his life. And no, they don't show Jesus with a to-do list, right? Or a smartwatch or a calendar or anything like that. But they do show him dealing with distractions while he worked, right? One time a man literally dropped through the ceiling as Jesus was preaching, right? Yeah. They show Jesus fighting for solitude. They show Jesus seeking to be busy without being hurried. In other words, the gospel biographies show Jesus facing the exact same challenges we face today. So what I did with this book with Redeeming Your Time is I said, all right, what are these seven timeless time management principles we can see in the gospel biographies? And then I've mapped those seven principles to more than 30 wicked practical practices that help us live out those principles in the 21st century. Another thing that's different about your book, you write, the mission of your life is to glorify God, period, full stop. Okay, well, now what, Jordan? <laughs> I mean, how do you turn that concept into a plan for living? So uh, in this chapter of the book, all about prioritizing our yeses, based on the, this idea that Jesus himself prioritized this time on earth, I offer this metaphor of a five-story building. Right. If you imagine the top floor, the fifth floor of this building is your mission in life, which is to glorify God. We don't get to choose our mission because we have been made and created by the God of the universe. And our mission is to glorify him. A level down from there, though, is where we start to have agency and choice. The fourth level of this building is callings. Right. And what I'm really trying to get across in this, in this section of the book is, is helping Christians feel a sense of agency and choice here. Because I think way too many Christians are making discerning their life's work into their life's work. And we got to get off the bench because there's kingdom building work left to do. A level down from there are long-term goals to help prioritize our to-do list and our time. A level down from there, second floor are quarterly goals. First floor, you got projects and actions, your daily tactical to-do list. And then the basement of this five-story building doesn't even deserve to be called a story. It's the basement. It is our posteriorities, right? Peter Drucker coined this term. Uh, basically, it's the avoid-at-all-cost list. So once you've defined, here's what's important on my to-do list for today, for this week, for this quarter, you got to have an avoid-at-all-cost list that you keep out of sight, 
and out of mind until your priorities are accomplished or until God calls you onto a different task. Jordan, I like to see in this book, you are an inbox zero guy. Yes. We're in the club yes. together on that. It's not an invitation to my friends and colleagues to send me emails. Please do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can tune out this section. Uh, but what is inbox zero supposed to have with, to do with the gospel? Now, we've got some friends with tens of thousands of unread emails. You know who you are. Yes. They would probably say, hey, I mean, grace abounds to me and my unread emails. So what's the big deal? 100%. And by the way, I've been that person with 10,000 unread emails before. Here's why this matters. Because for many of us in our modern context, unread emails represent unfulfilled commitments. And Jesus has commanded that our yes be yes. This is the second principle of the book, chapter two. We, it's all about being keepers of our word so that we can be better keepers and representations of the word Jesus Christ. And in the book, what I'm basically doing is helping readers get to inbox zero and stay there every day with just about 30 minutes of work each workday. But here, if you're one of those people out there sitting there with 10,000 unread emails, pro tip, uh, it's in the book, but I'll give it to you now. Just give yourself some grace. Mark the oldest 9,000 emails as read and move on with your life because you know you're never going to read them. You know you're never going to respond. <laughs> it's true. That's very true. Yeah. Free free advice here on Gospel yeah. Bound. Now, this is part of your subtitle on the book, but how am I supposed to be both present yeah. and wildly productive? Yeah, these things are inextricably linked. We can't be wildly productive unless we are fully present and focused on one thing at a time. I, I, th I think we see Jesus modeling this in the gospels. One of my, one of my favorite scenes is when he's preaching and it's a scene where the disciples come and say, Hey, Jesus, your family's outside wanting to see you. And this is where he says, he's talking about who is his mother, who's his father, who are brothers, sisters. But we miss in our preaching on this passage, we miss this like fascinating B story, which is that Jesus ignored his family, right? Like Jesus, like, kept on preaching. He didn't say, oh, my family's here, guys. You know the rules. God first, family second, work third. He kept on preaching. He was fully focused on the task at hand. And elsewhere in the gospel biographies, you see him fully focused and attentive on his friends and his family. We got to do the same thing. We know that multitasking is a myth, right? We've got to learn to accept and get comfortable with the fact that only God is omnipresent. And it is impossible for us to achieve that. For 33 years in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus accepted the human limitation of what I call unipresence. And we are arrogant uh, and fooling ourselves to believe that we can be present in multiple places at the same time. And until we get that, we can't do deep work at the office and we can't cultivate deep relationships at home that enable us to be wildly productive. Hmm. Wow. I'm guessing this next question is is related to that in terms of the presence. Yeah. Now you distinguish between hearing God's word yeah. and listening to his voice. Explain, yeah. explain why you did that. Yeah. So I, I'm not entirely sure of my theological footing here. So Colin, you could call me out where I'm wrong here. No, <laughs> there was a reason I asked the question. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think I can see what you're getting at, but go ahead. And yeah, explain. yeah. Here's what I'm trying to get at. We spend a lot of time, hopefully reading God's word and hearing his voice and what he has to say to us in his word. 
But as I tell my kids all the time, there's a big difference between hearing me and listening to me. And for me, I found that to really listen to the word. And what I mean by that is seeing how the word is connecting to my life, to my relationships and to my work. I have to sit there in silence, literal silence in front of the word, not reading, just listening to how the Holy Spirit is connecting what I just read in the inerrant word of God to what's going on in my life. My point is we don't make time for silence and solitude. And when we don't have time for silence and solitude, it's nearly impossible to hear how the Holy Spirit is connecting God's word to our circumstances in our life and how God is calling us to live out the word on a day-to-day basis. So that that's what I'm saying. We need to put a little bit more quiet back at quiet time. Oh, I like that. I like the way you put that. Now, earlier in my career, Jordan, I've, I've felt compelled to be the guy who knew the information. I was yeah. the person who saw the tweet. I'm the person who read the article, but I've, I've shifted to now I let my staff and friends, they curate uh, most of this information for me. And I see that in this book, this is actually what you commend Yeah, and describe the benefits of selective ignorance. Yeah, man, let's preach. So you mentioned Jen Wilkin. I, I got to give Jen props here. I love this quote from her. I, I quote her in the book. She says, Our insatiable desire for information is a sign that we covet the divine omniscience, right? We must observe God's good boundaries for how much information we can process. And in this chapter of the book, this is chapter three, the third principle about dissenting from the kingdom of noise. I offer a few ways on how to do this, a few ideas on how to do this. My preferred way is I just stopped reading the news 100% about five years ago, six, almost six years ago now. I just stopped cold turkey. And what I wish somebody had told me before I made this decision is that my friends would unknowingly, voluntarily curate the news for me. I hear about every single thing that matters to my life and work. I live in Florida. Hurricanes are pretty important to me. I hear about every hurricane days before it's Florida. I'm a huge Tim Keller fan. When Tim tweeted that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, Eight of my friends texted me the news within 10 minutes of the news breaking. And I hear about all this without spending a second on CNN.com, without spending any, almost any time on social media, right? My friends are bringing this news to me so that I could stay focused on the work I believe God's called me to do. Yeah, it, it works. Uh, especially yeah. in the era of the text message, <laughs> you, yes. will, you will, you will have, you will find out you might not be the first, but if you can live without being the first, you will still be up to date on everything you need to know. And you will not be bothered by tons of things that you don't need to know Amen. and that you don't want to know. I love that you also in this section commend reading more books. Yeah, um, because they've been so carefully curated, many of them at least, in a long in a long process, and I will say that's probably what has filled that void for me. Hmm. Less time on the news, hmm. less time tracking everything on social media, more time reading uh, more books, and I think that's been a a good trade off. This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and Kevin DeYoung's new book, The Biggest Story Bible Storybook. DeYoung retells the unified story of Scripture through 104 easy-to-read Bible stories, featuring captivating artwork by award-winning artist Don Clark. This book is perfect for families to read together. Pick up a copy wherever books are sold or visit crossway.org to find out how you can get 30% off. 
I'm wondering, this is a big question, but yeah. I'm wondering, is, is there a, is there a secret to success? Because your book is full of great advice, but in the end, it just really seems to come back yeah. to simple truths, such as one that you've alluded to already, keep your posteriorities on hold yeah. until your priorities are accomplished. It looks like, I mean, a lot of the the wisdom that you get, that you call from Jesus through the gospel is concentration, focus. Yeah. Depth is that pretty much the secret right there? Yeah, listen, it de- depends on how we define success. I define success in one word: stewardship. Stewardship. That's it, right? And so I, I think there's lots of quote unquote secrets to this in 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 our modern context, and that's what I'm spelling out in this book. But I, I think the biggest secret you, you mentioned it before, Colin, is realizing that we don't have to be productive because when we can rest in the gospel. The gospel is this double-edged sword that also enables us to be wildly ambitious for our work, for God's work, and for his mission in the world. Every single night when I put my three young girls to bed, last thing I tell them, I say, hey, girls, you know daddy loves you no matter how many bad things you did today. And they say, yes. I was like, you know, I also love you no matter how many good things you did today. No matter, it doesn't matter that you brought home a hundred on your test, right? I say, who else loves you like that? And they say, Jesus. And we've got to hear those same words spoken over our time and productivity. This is the quote unquote secret to success, realizing that God doesn't need us to be productive. He loves us equally, regardless if we have inbox zero or 10,000 unread emails. And that is what motivates me to be productive for his purposes, because working to earn somebody's favor. Is exhausting. But when we're working in response to unconditional favor, that's intoxicating. And that is the purest, cleanest fuel that is going to enable us to press on to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, I love that. Well, we've we've been talking with Jordan Rayner about redeeming your time, seven biblical principles for being purposeful, present, and wildly productive. It's new from Waterbrook, but we're going to turn and ask a couple questions about his latest book. It's your first children's book. It's called The Creator in You, also from Waterbrook. Now, explain to us, Jordan, how your book helps children see the sixth day, not as the end of creation, but the beginning. That seems to be the organizing principle and an important one. That's the big idea. Uh, I mentioned before, I got three young daughters, seven, five, and two. And Colin, I've read my kids so many books about the creation account of Genesis 1, and they all drive me bonkers. They, they all follow the same pattern. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, the end. And I want to scream because we're bearing the lead in a lot of ways. The sixth day wasn't the end of the creation account. It was just the beginning. It's when God passed the baton to us, his image bearers, and issued the first commission which is to fill and subdue the earth, to take the garden and mold it into the eternal city of God. And when we don't preach this, we can't possibly expect our kids to see their current and future work with God-given purpose and enthusiasm and joy. And so that's what I wanted to do. And this and the way I did it, I mean, it's a really short book. It's, you've read it, Colin, you endorsed it. It's 387 words, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a three-act play in three minutes, right? Act one is showing God working and using the language that scripture uses and using this working language and showing him creating the world. Act two is the critical part. I say in the book, 
after the uh, yeah, after we see God create and says, now you might think that this is the ending, but this is just the beginning. God created you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. Because while in six days, God created a lot. There are so many things that he simply did not. And that takes us in act three. So act two is passing the baton. Act three is showing kids creating, filling and subduing the earth. Uh, and it all culminates. And hey, this work that you're going to do today in the future, uh, building tree forts and someday building cities and towers and ports is showing the world what the creator God is like. It's glorifying him. I don't use that language, but that's what we're saying uh, in this short children's book. You've referenced my favorite spread, graphic yeah. spread in the book, which is beautiful. This tree fort in the foreground mm-hmm. in this great city arising yeah. in the background. How did you learn, Jordan, to, to see the city as the ongoing work of God's creation? Was that something you knew as a, as a child? Oh my gosh, no. Jeez, I, I didn't know this until I was, I don't know, 26, 27. And I've got Tim Keller to credit for it. Every good endeavor was a life-changing moment for me. Reading that book, I had no theology of work. I grew up with an experience, I think, that's very similar to many in the church today. Believing that the only work that's God's work is sharing the gospel because the only thing that matters for eternity are souls, right? It's just obviously not what scripture teaches, that we are moving towards the garden city. Uh, And remarkably, here's the most remarkable part, that God has invited us into that project. God could have created the entire world, not six days, in one day, in a second, but instead he has chosen to do his work in partnership with human beings. And he's still doing it today. Jesus could have brought the kingdom in full at Easter. He didn't. He invited us to co-garden the eternal kingdom of God along with him. Well, if you're interested in that, I have a feeling a lot of you will be. Check out new book, Creator in You from Jordan Rayner. It's out in April 23, wherever you're listening to this. Also from Waterbrook, in addition to book before that from 2021, Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive. I've got my final three now with Jordan Rayner. First, Jordan. How do you find calm in the storm? Ooh, man. Uh, I got to go for a walk with, without my phone. Uh, <laughs> that's the key, right? That's there. it. That's it. Yeah. Easy. And uh, as long as it's not actually storming outside. Yeah, that's exactly right. Which is a regular occurrence <laughs> here in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So are you, are you a, uh, you pray while you walk, you think while you walk, you do you clear your mind completely as you walk? Yeah, it, it, it depends. It, it depends on the situation, right? Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's structured thinking. Like I have certain variables that I need to think through in my head and I'm thinking through it. And other times, yeah, it's really unstructured. I'm just going for a walk because I can physically feel anxiety rising within my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know a walk's going to help let it out. By yourself or with somebody yeah, else? by myself. Always Always by myself. myself. Yeah. All right. Uh, Second then, Jordan, where do you find good news today? The good news that I've been thinking a lot about, I alluded to it before, is old news. Uh, It's 2,000 years old, but Jesus rising from the dead and choosing to be mistaken by Mary as a gardener. Um, I've been really digging into this, really thinking about this. I just think it's the most beautiful symbol of the purpose of the Christian life, right? That Jesus is king of this world, not Caesar, not the, the, king, the kings of this earth today, but that he didn't bring the kingdom in one fell swoop. He's chosen to do that work in partnership 
with human beings, which is exactly what God has been doing since Genesis 1. God inaugurates the first creation, creates Adam and says, I'm not going to finish this. You're going to garden it. You're going to finish it. Creates a bride for the first Adam to help him cultivate the first creation. And then at the garden of the tomb, that first Easter Sunday, Jesus chooses to be mistaken for a gardener, the last Adam inaugurating the final creation. And just like the first, the last Adam has got his bride Eve to help him cultivate the final one. That's good news, right? Uh, The kingdom is coming Mm -hmm. and it is coming at least in part uh, through the work that you and I are doing every day. Hmm. Amen. Last question then, Jordan, what's the last great book you've read? Honestly, I'm on a run of like not very good books. You know, <laughs> uh, you know what? The, the last great book I read, uh, it was the annotated notes to Hamilton. Honestly, oh, Hamilton, the revolution, which is, which is a biography of the show, which is just a, uh, a fascinating journey of creation. But then I, I just think Lin-Manuel Miranda is one of the greatest Right. I, I always say, people ask me, how do you prepare for writing books? I say, I, I, I read Tim Keller. I watch Aaron Sorkin, who wrote the West Wing and Moneyball. Yeah. And I listen to Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, yes, I, I, just, I just really enjoy his work. So that was a great book. It was really fun to read. And the key to that question is you just got to not think whatever comes to your mind. That's just right. Let it come out. There it you're, is. You're not trying to give some sort of great answer. You're That's just right. trying to, to say, well... Uh, Jordan Rayner has been my guest. Check out Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive, and then pick up The Creator in You, both from Waterbrook. Jordan, thanks for joining me on Gospel Bound. Thank you, Colin. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gospel Bound. For more interviews and to sign up for my newsletter, head over to tgc.org slash gospelbound. Rate and review Gospel Bound on your favorite podcast platform so others can join the conversation. Until next time, remember, when we're bound to the gospel, we abound in hope.